I wonder how many of you, um, and I don't want to be patronising or offensive here, how many of you can remember being at school? <laughs> Did you ask that question first, just to make sure, because the second question is not going to make any sense if you can't remember the, the first one. So how many of you remember being at school and getting your report, like the report, can you remember that? Yeah? And how many of you remember then the thought process that you went through when you got the report and you knew you had to give that to your mum and dad? And the thought process that goes along like this. Wonder what kind of mood they're in. What can I do around the house? What can I do to prepare the way for this great piece of information that I want to give them? Any of you know what I'm talking about? Or do some of you still got report cards in your bag that you've never given your parents? I, I thought so. And how many of you, when you open the report card, you ever saw words like this? Hand up if you've ever had must try harder on your report card. Can I say if you're a teacher, think of something original. For goodness sake, like everybody, you know, must try harder. And, and I think there's, there's a feeling in life that if you want to be good at something, the two things you need to do is you need to try harder and obey all the rules. And when it comes to being a good person, okay, living a good life, think deep down, we think that the way to live a good life is to try really hard and to obey all the rules. And C.S. Lewis, who was not only the guy that wrote the Narnia stories, but was an atheist actually at one stage. He was a professor at Oxford. He was an atheist who became a Christian, became an incredible Christian writer. He's still one of the best Christian writers that you can read any of his stuff on. He said this, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. And you know that's true, isn't it? No man knows how bad he is till he's tried very hard to be good. And when you think about being good, you think, right, okay, if I'm going to live a good life, I've got to try really hard and I've got to obey all the rules. But how many of you know some rules are bonkers, aren't they? I mean, how many of you experience that in your workplace and, and, and in life? I mean, some rules are ridiculous. And there are, I've done a bit of research on this, and there are some rules that still are on the, constitu- uh, you know, on the legal documents of certain countries. And quite a few of these are American. So if you're American, I'm really sorry, but you just have bonkers rules. But we have some as well. Uh, And here's one. So in California, it is illegal for a vehicle without a driver to exceed 60 miles an hour. (laughs) Oh, that's some kind of car, isn't it, that can exceed 60 miles an hour without a driver. In Samoa, many of us men here will will be glad that we're not Samoan, it's a crime to forget your own wife's birthday. (laughs) Yeah, there's a few little looks there, a few little looks. Yes, yes. And in our house it is as well. (laughs) <laughs> in England, in England, it is illegal to die in the Houses of Parliament. And if you do, it's illegal. And what's going to happen? It's like crazy. And, and the rest are all Americans. Here we go. In Baltimore, Maryland, taking a lion to a cinema is illegal. So don't ever take a lion to a cinema. In Texas, I love this one. In Texas, if you're going to commit a crime, you legally have to give 24 hours notice to the police. <laughs> Policing would be a whole different deal, wouldn't it? If just phoning up, tomorrow I'm robbing a bank. Is that all right? Brilliant, brilliant. (laughs) And the last one. In Kentucky, it is illegal to carry a concealed weapon more than six feet long. Where do you conceal a weapon that's nearly six feet? You know, you're like, okay. But some, some rules are crazy. And I think we can think that being good in life is about trying really hard and obeying all the rules, even the crazy ones. 
And I think when it comes to being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, people who are not followers of Jesus think that actually Jesus followers are people who try really hard and obey all the rules. But do you know what? Christians think that too. Many of us who have been brought up in church or have come into faith and are now a Jesus follower, we think that actually to be a really good Christian means we have to try really hard and obey all the rules. Here's a question for you. And, and I've never asked this question. I've never even thought about this question. So this is a strange one. Was Jesus a good example of a human being? Yeah, how many do you think he was? So if I, can, if I can work with me on this, all right? Theologically, this is all over the place. So was Jesus a good Christian? Okay, in what we understand to be. He, he was good when he, he loved God. And, and if you say he's a follower, he was good, wasn't he? So that means that if he was a good human being, and if he was a good Christian, if he was a good follower, if he was a good example of what it means, he must have tried really hard and obeyed all the rules, right? Wrong, actually. Because John 5, verse 19, it says this, Jesus was talking to Pharisees who were religious leaders, okay, who believed in God, but they were the religious leaders. We'll talk about them in a moment. And Jesus said, very truly I tell you, the son, in other words me, can do nothing by himself. So Jesus says, I can do nothing by myself. You're not trying very hard then, Jesus, are you? And then in Matthew chapter 19, when, when a, a guy came up to him and said, what must I do to, to be a follower of God and to inherit eternal life? How do I be good, is what he said. Jesus said, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And it's not me. It's my father. So let's get this right, Jesus. You can do nothing on yourself, so you're not trying very hard. And you can't be good, only your father, so you're not obeying all the rules. So, so what's going on with this? Jesus, himself, you, you, you're saying that you're not trying all that hard and you're not obeying all the rules. Well, if you look a little bit deeper into some of these Bible verses that I've just read, John 5, 19, go back to that. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son, as in me, can do nothing by himself. But listen to this. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Then in John 14, 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father, Jesus says, and that the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. In other words, what Jesus says is this, I'm only living this kind of life, not because I'm trying harder and obeying all the rules, but because I'm connected to the Father. It's as my life is connected to his, so his energy and his life is living out his life through me. And what the Father is to Jesus, I want to suggest Jesus is to us by his Spirit. We aren't ever going to live good Christian lives by trying harder and obeying other rules. And there's nothing wrong with trying harder, we'll talk about that. And there's nothing wrong with rules, and we'll talk about that. But we are not going to live this kind of life by trying harder and obeying all the rules. We're only going to live it as we are connected to the source. You see, when you look at the fruit of Jesus' life, you forget that the fruit always has a root. And it's our connection to God, it's our connection to the Father, it's our connection through Jesus, through the Spirit, to Him, that is going to bring that kind of life that we all desperately want to live. And you see what happened is that Jesus, after He was resurrected, the Bible says He breathed on His disciples and said, receive the Spirit. And then in, in Acts chapter 2, they received the Spirit, we call it the day of Pentecost, and they were transformed. They weren't transformed by trying harder and obeying all the rules, they were transformed because the life of God was living in them. 
And when Jesus died on the cross, the temple had, had this place in the temple called the Holy of Holies where, where, where they said that God lived. But when Jesus died on the cross, as he gave up his spirit and died, the temple curtain ripped from the bottom to the top. And it was like God got out and we got in. That's exciting, isn't it? God got out and we got in. It's like all of a sudden, it's not all about keeping the rules and trying harder. It's about living the connected life. It's about his life running through our lives. That's what it means. Now, I'm not suggesting that laziness is the answer. Because laziness is not the answer to living a good Christian life any more than busyness is the answer. The answer is to be so connected to God that actually we do our bit, but God does the heavy lifting. My favorite verse in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 24. It says this, the one who has called you is faithful and he will do it. And I have quoted that verse to myself thousands of times and and constantly need to remind myself, actually the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Not all about us, it's all about him. So if he can do nothing by himself... You know, and if he only if he does it through his connection to the Father, how can we do that? Well, in order to do that, we need to go back in time, and we need to head over to the garden, which is where we are here. And um, just before I talk about these two trees, any of you seen the film Noah? Has any of you got out there yet? No. Okay. I went and saw it last night. Just for those of you that need an endorsement, you might not do. It's a great film. I would recommend you see it. But you do need to suspend your imagination a little bit because there is a little bit of artistic license in a Hollywood movie about Noah. Bear in mind in the Bible, it doesn't give you all the detail. So there is a little bit of kind of like magic stuff and um, big rock monsters and all this kind of stuff. So if you can ignore and get past that, it is actually a really powerful film. Most of the themes in the film, I think, are really good and really thought-provoking. There's a little bit at the end, and I won't spoil it for you for those who haven't seen it, which I did find quite difficult to square up. But most of it was really good. But one bit in the film, which came back time and time again, was a reference to the Garden of Eden and a reference to the tree... And there was some fruit on the tree that looked like an apple. And there was a snake. And that picture that comes through the film at various times is the picture that we all have in our mind when we think of the Garden of Eden. Am I right? That there's a garden, and that in the middle of the garden, I think there's a garden up there, yeah, that there is a tree with fruit on it. The problem is when you read the Bible, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's a garden with loads of trees, and in the middle, there are two trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And of all of these trees, God says to mankind, whether you believe in a literal Adam and a literal Eve, one Adam, one Eve, that's irrelevant for what I'm talking about today. Okay, So just ignore all that. Don't get hung up on that because that will sidetrack you. But what God said to mankind was, you can eat of anything in this garden, all this amazing stuff you can eat, apart from that one. That one is the forbidden tree. And the reason that's the forbidden tree is that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I want you to trust in me, and I want you to let my life run through you, so please eat of the tree of life. Because by eating of that, what you're doing is that you're pushing me away, and you're saying, actually, we want to know for ourselves what's, what's, what's right and wrong. We want to determine our own future and our own destiny. We want to reject you, God. That's what was going on. And you see, one of the things that comes out powerfully in the film of Noah is, is Russell Crowe, Noah, gladiator, you know, is, is, get your head around that, uh, is, is <laughs> Australian Noah, great, um, is, <laughs> is trying to wrestle with the fact that God, why have we become so wicked, why did you give us this free will, well he gave us the free will because he loves us, 
Because anyone who loves anyone doesn't try and control them. They love them and they give them free will. And, and God gave us free will and said, listen, you, you please, I want to give you free will and choice. Eat of anything you want that I've given for you, just not that one. And it's not a threat. He's not saying, if you eat of that, then I'll do this. It's not a threat, it's a warning. It's like you saying to your kids, don't touch the fire, it's hot. Don't put your hand on the stove, you'll get burnt. It's not a threat, it's a warning, isn't it? You're not saying, you know, you do that and I'll burn you. You're saying, you do that and you'll burn yourself. It's a warning. And he says, don't eat of the tree of, of, the, of, the, of knowledge of good and evil. Because then what's going to happen is that you're going to get burnt. Because all of a sudden you're going you're to think, actually, we'll determine our own future. We'll determine what's right or wrong. We don't need God. We can live on our own. It's the forbidden tree. But can I suggest, this is the forgotten tree. Because Jesus says, listen, don't eat of that one. Eat of this one. This is the tree of life. When you eat of this, this is like the uncreated life of God that's flowing through your body. And then Jesus in John chapter 15 says, I am the true vine. I think in Jesus' mind, he's saying, I am the tree of life. If you eat of me, you'll know goodness. It won't be because you're trying hard and obeying all the rules. It'll be because it's flowing out of you. Now, religion is about tree number one. Because religion is all about this idea that we, through our knowledge okay, of good and evil, we can work out all the rules. We can work out God. We can contain God. We can put God in a box. But you cannot put God in a box because God is an untamed lion. He's good, as C.S. Lewis says in the Aslan stories, but he ain't tame and he's not safe. And what religion does is it says if you obey all the rules and work really hard and do all that, then you can contain God and you become God. Whereas actually, while we're trying to be good, Jesus is saying, God is saying, eat of the tree of life, that is goodness. You'll be good, not because you're trying hard, but because you're eating from goodness. And what happens is, is, is that if we learn to live from this tree, to eat from this tree, are you with me so far? Then actually what happens is the commands, the rules, which are all important... The Ten Commandments and all that, they're all important. They turn from being commands to being promises. So if you stay eating from this tree, what happens is this. All you can hear in your mind is God saying, you know, you won't have any other gods but me. You won't lie and you won't cheat and you won't steal and you won't commit adultery and you won't covet your neighbor's donkey. Oh, that's a word for some of you there who've done that. And, uh, <laughs> but, but when you hear it like that, you say, like, oh, I've got to try really hard. I've got to try really hard. I won't do that. I won't do that. I won't do that. Because it's a command. But when you eat from this tree, do you know what God says? You eat from this long enough, and you know what's going to happen? You won't have any other gods. You won't lie. You won't cheat. You won't commit adultery. You won't covet. You won't need to. You won't want to, because you're eating from the tree of life. So this is a challenge, I think. This is a challenge. How do we eat from the tree of life, and not the forgotten tree, and not from the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And let me say, say one other thing. Following Jesus is also not about how moral you are. People think that. They think, oh, oh, oh to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to be really moral. Well, morals are important, but can I just say, the most moral person on the planet needs Jesus as much as the most immoral person on the planet. Because it's not about our morality. Because it's not our morality that saves us, that brings us into a relationship with God. It's our relationship with Jesus through the cross that brings us into a relationship with the Father. A guy called Dr. Terence Kelshaw said this, we cannot live the Christian life on our own or by our own strength. And Jesus says, I never said you could. I always said I would. It's not about us living the life. It's about him living it through us. So if you've got a Bible, John chapter 15, 
This is this great passage of scripture and the words will come up on the screens. And then I'll just say two things about this. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, Jesus doesn't mean you can do nothing, okay? He means you can do nothing of spiritual value, of worth. You can't do anything of godliness without remaining in the vine. And the vine in in Israel's history was a symbol of their nation. They were often referred to in the Old Testament as, as the vine. Uh, and that was the symbol because the vine is quite wild and unruly and it's and it a bit untamed and it grows in all directions just like the nation of Israel. But the role of the vine dresser or the gardener was crucial because if you want fruit on a vine, you've got to do something with it. It doesn't just happen. And um, so what Jesus does is he uses this metaphor to describe relationships. So he says, I'm the vine. The Father, God the Father, is the gardener or the vine dresser. You guys are the branches. Got it? So I'm the vine. The Father, God the Father, is the gardener and you're the branches. So how do we produce fruit? I know. Let's try really hard and obey all the rules. No. What we do is this. Firstly, we cooperate with the gardener. Jesus says that what happens is that he will cut off branches that aren't bearing fruit. So things in our life that aren't bearing fruit, good fruit, he'll cut them off. Things that are bearing fruit, he'll cut them as well. That's really encouraging, isn't it? So either way, we're going to get cut. But that's not a cut of punishment. It's a cut of love. Because he says, do you know what? If I'm going to get the best out, any gardener will know in a vine, dead wood, cut it off. Fruitful branches, prune them so they can become even more fruitful. And that's what he's saying. And the way that God does this in our lives, folks, is that he does it because he loves us. And some of you might find this really hard to hear. Sometimes God disciplines us. Those of you who aren't followers of Jesus this morning, you think that's all God does is discipline. It's not, but sometimes he does do that. But he does it because he loves us. You see, a good parent loves their kids too much to let them grow wild, untamed, unchecked. We discipline. We put boundaries in. Not out of control or manipulation or badness, but out of love. And in Hebrews chapter 12, um, verse 4 to 11, there's a great chunk of the Bible there. And when you read it from the Message Translation, it just comes over so fresh. Let me just read it to you. It says, My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. But don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. See, that's what happens in church. You know, people are going through a hard time and and they sense that God's on their case and he's doing something, so they drop out. I mean, why do you do that? Because you're aborting what God's doing in your life. That's what it says. Don't drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. It's the normal experience. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us. Training us to live God's holy best all the time. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. How many of you think discipline is fun when you receive it? It's not, is it? It's not fun. 
It always feels like it's going against the grain, the Bible says. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. You know, the worst thing God can do for you is take his hand off you. You know that, don't you? When God takes his hand off you, that's a scary place to be. But when God's got his hand on you, even if it's the hand of discipline, it's a good thing. Cooperate with the gardener. But secondly, and this is the one I want us to focus in on, we must remain connected to the vine. In the first 10 verses of, of John 15, Jesus uses the word remain 10 times. In 10 verses, he uses one word 10 times. He's trying to make a point, isn't he? Remain, 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 remain. And if Jesus lived his life because of the energy of the Father, so connected, why do we struggle with that? Well, the reason that Jesus could do it so well is that Jesus was perfect. And I know that you might think you are, but we're not. And the reason that he was perfect is the Bible says he was fully man, but he was also fully God. There was no, what the Bible calls sin. When we, when we, mankind, when, when we went to the forbidden tree and rejected God, there was a separation. It's called the fall of mankind. From that moment on, we can't help it, but in our nature, we do the wrong thing. We have to work really hard not to. That's what we try and do. Okay, there's another way, which is what I'm talking about this morning. And actually in the Noah film, it comes out brilliantly at how much the human condition is geared to move away from God. And yet, and yet Jesus is saying, listen, listen, you've got to remain connected. And I remain connected into the Father. And so out of that relationship, he lived his life through me. But the reason it was so great is that there was no static on the line between the Father and the Son. But with you and me and God, there's a lot of static on the line. Am I right? And we've got to work with that and we've got to understand that. how do we get rid of that static on the line so that we can have that connection and that we can remain. And the three things I want to show you this. Firstly, we need to remove as much static as we're aware of that's in our life. So people say, I don't feel close to God. But there's stuff in our life that is wrong. And we know it's wrong. And we know it and we leave it in our life and we wonder why we don't hear God. God's speaking all the time. All of the time. It's the static on the line that causes us to not hear him. And I know this from my own life. Even just this last week, these last few days, had to remove some static on, on my line. and A painful experience of going through some stuff and realizing that there was some stuff in me that wasn't great and that needed to be dealt with and worked with. And, and the sense of just being able to connect with God again. You've got to remove as much static on your line as you're aware of. But secondly... Sometimes we're not aware of the static on our line, are we? We've got to open ourselves to a fresh pair of eyes. A fresh pair of eyes that can look at our life and help us identify some of the static. When we go to restaurants now, me and Alison, and Alison says, you need your reading glasses. And I said, no, I don't. I'm absolutely fine with the menu. And invariably, what happens in a restaurant now is that I, I could do that for a little bit. And it's, oh my goodness. And I give it to her and she reads it for me. I need some help. I need another pair of eyes because I can't read it. How many of you know that's true? Not just physically, but in our own life, we need that. So open yourself to others to say, what do you see in me? That's a scary thing, but it's a really important thing. What do you see in my life that actually you think I need to work on that isn't what God would want me to have? So remove the static, open yourself to others. And thirdly, be willing to let God change you. You think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're not willing to let God change you. And neither am I. Most of us are unwilling to let God really change us. 
Now, we don't mind saying, okay, God, here's this person that I don't like, okay, and they've hurt me. I need to forgive them. Give me the grace and the strength to forgive them, all right? And God can do that. That's not the change God's talking about. It's much deeper than that. It's much deeper than that. You see, most of us don't resist change. We resist being changed, which is a whole different deal. When you're really changed by God, when that static on the line is gone, and when God's energy flows through you, it's not about him just giving you the ability to, 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 to forgive that person. It's giving you the desire to want to do it. It's giving you the motivation and the feeling, not just the action. Because the action is important. Do that anyway. But if you're not careful, that's just self-discipline. What God wants, what Jesus wants, is spiritual reorientation. It's like a spiritual realignment. It's like you can try really hard and obey all the rules and I will forgive you because I can do that and because I am almost like a Dalek. But actually what Jesus wants to do is he wants to give us not only the the ability to forgive someone but the desire to want to do it. And that's where we struggle. That's where we struggle. And in the book Jesus Manifesto, which is where I've taken some of these thoughts from, which is a book that I would recommend you get, the guy who writes the chapter on this, on these two trees, he talks about a prayer of permission. This is a great prayer. I want you to look at it. What a great prayer. Lord, I know what you want me to do, but I don't want to do it. (laughs) I'm giving you full permission to change the way I feel and think about it. So not, Lord, I know what you want me to do. I don't want to do it, but I will do it anyway with gritted teeth. And that's a good, that's a good thing, okay? If it's the right thing to do, that's, if there's always the right thing to do, there's always the right time to do the right thing. Okay, that's good. But a deeper level of change. But, but you can live like that from that tree. I know what the right thing is to do, so I'll do it. I'll work really hard and I'll try hard and I'll obey the rules. But when we eat from this tree... Say, Lord, I know what the right thing is to do. I don't want to do it. So, Lord, I give you full permission to change me. Change the way I feel. Change the way I think. Give me the power to do it. Not just because I have to, but, Lord, because I want to. Wow. Wow. When we cooperate with the pruning of the gardener, when we remain and we remove the static from our line, there's a promise. Jesus says, if this happens, you will bear much fruit. Nowhere in the Bible does God really command his followers, you know, to, 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 you will bear fruit. You, I command you to bear fruit. He promises we bear fruit when we stay remained, when we connect with the vine. And what kind of fruit does he produce? Let me read Galatians 5 to you. It's a big chunk, again, from the message because it just brings the thing alive in a different way. And, and as you listen to this, ask yourself the question, is this the kind of life I want to live? Because if the answer is yes, can I say, you are never going to live this life from this tree. Just try and harden obey all the rules. You're only going to live it from that tree. When you eat of the tree of life, when you remain connected to Christ, when Christ shapes you, when Christ feeds you, when by his spirit he works in you, the Bible says in Philippians, to will and to act according to his purpose. He doesn't just enable you to do things. He gives you the, the, the motivation the desire to do it. So as you listen to this, ask yourself the question, do I want to live this kind of life? But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our life, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, 
and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. And among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this is the kind of life we live and we've chosen the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. How many of you want that life? I know I want that. That will only come when we live by the forgotten tree and not by the forbidden one. Why don't we stand together? You know, one of the little phrases that Jesus uses more often than not, and and it actually comes right through the Bible, is three little word phrase. And it's literally this, come to me. Jesus uses it a lot. says, anyone thirsty? Come to me. Anyone hungry? Come to me. Anyone weary? The message says, burned out on religion. Come to me. Anyone anxious? Fearful? Come to me. Anyone uncertain about the future? Confused? Paralyzed? Don't know how to move forward? Come to me. Come to me. Don't just try harder and obey all the rules. Come to me. You know, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, you guys, you... You search the scriptures diligently like you work really hard. Because, and what you do is you think that by doing that and by understanding everything, you have life. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Come to me. Come to me and have life. That's what Jesus says. Come to me and have life. What I'm going to do this morning is going to invite you, some of you perhaps, to respond to that. And some of you say, do you know what? It's been a long time since I've eaten of this tree. I really need to know God again. I really need to know God's presence. Right now, perhaps you're stuck in fear or anxiety. And just that serenity and that sense of God's Spirit at work in your life. Come to me. Come to me. And while we sing, what I'm going to ask is that any of you that want to respond and want prayer, that you come and stand at the front. And some of the people in our team will just come and pray for you. I'm not going to ask you loads of things. We're just going to pray for you. Because you're not coming to them, you're coming to Him. You're coming to the tree of life. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray for you that you'll eat again of the tree of life, that you'll remain, that some of that static will go and that you'll know God's presence and you'll know God's power. You'll know God's power. So if that's you, we really want to invite you as we begin to sing, just to come and respond. We don't do this every week. And if you're new and you're a visitor, it's not weird or freaky, you can respond as well. You'd be very welcome. We just want to pray for you. There's nothing special about us. There's a lot special about Jesus though, isn't there? He's the true vine. He's the tree of life. I don't want to stay in the forbidden tree, just working hard and trying to obey all the rules. That's not life. Life is when we're connected to Him. Come to me, Jesus said. I will fill you with my spirit. I will pour my life into you. I will live my life through you when you let me. So as we sing, I want to invite you to respond and we'll pray for you. You know, just as we finish this morning, um, 
As I was looking at these two trees in the first service, right towards the end, I kind of sensed something really that I hadn't seen when I prepared the talk. I think it was just these two trees that did it. And, and what I sensed was this, that, you know, often the issue is our first response, isn't it? So like when we're in a situation in life, what's our first response? I know that for me, it's often to go to that tree. You know, it's just the knowledge, you know, what can I do? What can I sort out? What rule can I do? Do you know what I mean? How can I do it? And that's, that's where the problem is. Our first response should be there. That's not about our effort. That's about who God is. And somebody at the first service, a, a very new Christian said, how do I do that? Great question. And I said, well, it happened for me this week, okay, that I went through a situation, something happened, and, and, my, and, and I came back home and I was really angry and cross and hurt and all of that. Because I do get like that, okay? And my first response was to go to that tree. And I said, and I felt God say, wrong tree. Something like that. So then what I did was I, I read the Bible. And I put a worship CD on. And I just prayed. Just for 10 minutes. At a time when I, I wouldn't normally do that. But that's the first response. Now, after that, the danger is that we can quickly go back to that. But, but the, the pressure, is, the, the challenge is, go to that as your first response. And stay with that. Say, Lord, you lead me. Lord, you guide me. If you want me to do something, you tell me. Does that make sense? But I think many of us, our first response is to go to that. I can sort it. I can solve it. Whatever. God says, you know what? You're never going to live life like that. This is the tree of life. Make your first response going to Him. My prayer for you this week, at work, home, college, uni, wherever you are, is that you'll see two trees, okay? And you think, up, oh, wrong tree. Go to the right tree. And I'll pray for you. God, thank you that you're an amazing God. You can speak to us in so many different ways. Lord Jesus, when you were on the planet, you used creation so much to illustrate what it means to live this connected life, this life in relationship with you. And God, I pray that in our technological world, crazy wheel spinning world, God, I pray that some of these images and pictures and metaphors Pray they bring us life this week. God, this week, when we're tempted to go to the wrong tree, God, cause us to go to the right one. Cause us to turn to you. Cause us to eat of the tree of life. God, I pray that this week we will remain connected to the vine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.